Hey, it's great to be back, Mark. Uh, really appreciate that, that you're recording again. So that's exciting. I saw that in my podcast and was uh, ex- really excited to, that you're back. I'm excited to be on the 100th episode. I think I might be uh, the most uh, interviewed guest on this podcast, but I'd have to go back and look. And uh, really excited that Keenan's here joining. Uh, you know, we go way back and Keenan, uh, it's really great to be on this episode with you. Yeah. Thanks for uh, finally inviting me after 100 episodes, Mark. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, we ran out of interesting people to interview. <laughs> Just kidding. So we scraped the bottom of the barrel and uh, we found you, Keenan. <laughs> exactly. The last, the last data guest to invite to the podcast was Keenan Rice. Well, anyways, regardless, I like to be in the barrel. So thanks for having me on the podcast today. Looking forward to it. So welcome to this special 100th episode of the Georgia Detail podcast, and I'm your host, Mark Whitman. So we're joined today by not one, but two special guests, Stuart Bryson and Keenan Rice. Keenan, great to have you on the show. Why don't you tell everybody what you do? Yeah, what is it I do is a question a lot of people have asked me over the last 12 years. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so uh, I mean, probably most famously helped start Looker with Lloyd and Ben, who's the founding business guy over there. Uh, title was uh, Business Guy uh, in 2012. Uh, so I helped the sales, marketing, all that fun stuff. Um, I know all you guys because I also built and ran our global partner ecosystem. Uh, so thanks to uh, the work that all of you guys did, building amazing advanced boutique consulting companies uh, really helped Looker and uh, I think you know the whole modern data stack uh, start getting adopted and taken seriously and shown what the power of it could really do. Um, yeah. And then after that, I've just been doing a ton of tech investing, obviously a lot on the data side, uh, and across the rest of enterprise software. Uh, and most recently also been helping, uh, the guys at Firebolt, uh, expanded the U S and keep growing their, uh, their business as well. And Stuart, so as you said, you're the guest who's been on the show most times out of anybody. Um, but if anyone doesn't know you, maybe just tell us who you are. And, um, again, what do you do? Yeah, so I think uh, every previous episode, uh, I was at Red Pill Analytics, and that's a consulting company that I founded with a good friend, Kevin McGinley, who went on to Snowflake probably at the exact right time. Uh, and uh, I sold that in 2019, but during my time there, you know, we, we initially started as a on-prem Oracle consulting company. Soon as soon as we learned about Snowflake and Looker, we uh, pivoted. We had a lot of customers sort of in the barrel that were looking to move to the cloud. So, you know, honestly, we were just a on-prem to cloud migration company for seven years and, uh, you know, worked closely with Keenan and the folks at Looker. Uh, shout out to Rich Christie, mm-hmm. who was also Rich on Christie, the partner side. The was amazing. Um, and I, I really appreciate that Keenan and Rich saw in us at Red Pill. Uh, the ability to execute on their vision and really helped us grow. It was they were the first modern data stack company that really uh, believed in us. Um, since selling the company, I you know I did my earnout with them, uh, bounced around a little bit, helped start a data quality startup called Qualytics. Shout out to those guys. Uh, recently left to, so that I could move to Coalesce, and Coalesce is a data transformation tool, um, a nice 
injection into the modern data stack. I run all of customer experience there. So that means support rolls up to me, customer success rolls up to me, and DevRel rolls up to me. And I've been with them since September. I really love the product. I love the opportunity to, you know, um, bring a little bit of those, leg, you know, what we saw in legacy tools. There was a lot of crap in legacy tools, but there were some things worth keeping. So this is a product built from the ground up to support the modern data stack, but also bring bring a little bit of flavor from the enterprise that I think we're missing in the modern data stack. So as I said, this is actually um, a special episode, our 100th episode, and as well as our two main guests, uh, Stuart and Keenan, we've actually got a mystery third guest coming on in about 20 minutes as well. So um, so what we're trying to do is uh, obviously over the next 20 minutes, trying to get the two of them to say uh, terrible things about our third guest, and then I can invite them on and uh, it'll be nice and awkward for the rest of the uh, show. Just slack, just slack me, Mark, and tell me who you want me to demean. I'll get right on it. <laughs> Thanks, Stuart. The theme for this special 100th episode is the past, present and future of the modern data stack. And we use as our starting points for discussions and past episodes of the show that we're looking back actually particularly significant and particularly kind of historically interesting. Um, and that'll be our starting point for each conversation. So I'll add links to each of the episodes we talk about in the show notes on our website, which is ripmanalytics.com forward slash drill to detail, or you'll find them on the, uh, the iTunes show notes and episode notes and so on. So let's start then by going back to, back in fact to 2016, the very first episode of the show. Um, where Stuart joined us to talk for our first ever guest. Um, and he was talking about what was the hot topic in the world at the time, which was the recently published Gartner BI um, industry report that would had just excluded Oracle, that was the main tool we were using at the time, um, from that report's magic quadrant and was saying that the future is no longer about semantic models and governed BI and so on. It was actually more about um, desktop BI discovery and what they were calling a bimodal, you know, bimodal IT and bimodal analysis. Um, so, Stuart, tell us a bit more about uh, that time and what was in that report. That's the first time I've heard bimodal probably in five years. Uh, so, uh, it, you know, if that is any indicator of how uh, predictive that report was. Um, but basically, that report talked about uh, enterprise analytics tools or BI tools were dead. And the only thing that was going to survive was the more uh, user focused, uh, we'll say worksheet type products, those that were, that could be used outside of IT. And it's just not what happened. Um, you know, Keenan's going to be able to talk about the success they had at Looker. That's certainly not what Looker was about. Um, and it's why we loved Looker. It looked like some of the tools we were used to, but, but with a modern framework and architecture. And, you know, if you look at things like Tableau, and Power BI, they've moved more and more toward enterprise features because that's at the end of the day what people want to deploy for these huge data platforms, data clouds, data warehouses, data lakes, whatever you want to call them. So that report was was basically you know firing a shot across the bow for all these enterprise tools, and it simply didn't happen. So uh, is that enough context there, Mark? Uh, yeah, that's great. Thanks. So getting on to the first of the historical episodes I want to talk about, what we're going to do is go back to uh, episode 23, uh, look at BigQuery and analytics on big data with special guest Daniel Mintz. And so this was the first ever episode that we talked about Looker on the uh, on the show. And the context for this was that I was working at the time at a startup in London called Qubit. 
um, where we use Looker on top of BigQuery to um, to serve up um, serve up personalization data and kind of web analytic data at huge scale. When I first started working with Looker, it took me a little while to get my head around some of the you know, terminology like LookML and Explores and 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 so on. But then it gradually dawned on me that this was another. It was just like a modernization, a, a re-implementation of some of the concepts that I was very familiar with from the Oracle BI world, sort of semantic models and 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 so on. So maybe we start off with um, Keenan. What's your what were your thoughts at the time when when Looker was being built and um, about I suppose semantic models and, and metadata layers and so on. And what were your thoughts about the um, the Gartner report at the time, the one that talks about bimodal IT and desktop BI taking over? Yeah. Um, so I think Stuart did a really good uh, summary there of that report. And so that was that was an interesting time, right? Uh, obviously, like I get why they wrote that report, right? Uh, Tableau was just insanely growing, right? And uh, everyone wanted this really easy to use, really beautiful way to analyze a lot of their disparate data sets, right? That were all around the organization and they didn't really get access to this. They meaning the business users from a central data team, right? So I actually like that report in the sense that like it was, it, it, it over-indexed so hard on that that it made the data teams really take a look and be like, I don't know if this is totally true, but from my perspective at Looker, like, holy crap, like we, we got to get our stuff together, right? How do we actually become more effective within the organization? Um, because data is hard, right? Uh, and data teams are there for a reason, right? And so I think it was a really cool serendipitous kind of time in which a whole bunch of interesting technologies like Looker, like Snowflake, you know, early on with Redshift and, and what Anurag did it at AWS Big Data in general, to, to put all this stuff together and say, okay, now there's a whole bunch of tools. Like, here you go, data teams, like, you know, step up now and, and be the service organization you should be, right? So I think over-indexing on that uh, in the Gartner report and, and just in the industry in general probably actually was really good. Uh, and it was probably maybe one of the best things that happened and created, you know, helped be the impetus for the modern data stack in general. So um while I think that was exact opposite, and it was very hard for us to get any time of day with Gartner uh, at Looker uh, because we were the exact opposite trend they wanted to see. Um, I think it all worked out very well in the end, uh, mainly for you know folks in the organization that wanted to access and analyze data. Stuart, what was your what was your kind of reaction to Looker when you first uh, came across it? Well, I'm going to be completely honest, Keenan. Uh, you know, there were features that were missing that I thought I needed. Uh, that was the first thing I noticed. Uh, federate, you know, federation, uh, bringing in multiple databases and aggregate awareness and, you know, blending and all those things that were so important when we were constrained by technology on-prem. So my initial thought was, I love the, the Git integration. Mark, I think you famously tweeted something around uh, Stuart Bryson needs to see Looker or something along those lines, because you know how much I loved Git back in the day. But uh but then I realized as we started using it that actually those features are not as important in, in cloud data warehouses as they used to be. And I think that that's one of the things that the Gartner report kind of that, that over-indexing is that they weren't uh, really also cognizant at the same time that with um, federation, not federation, but with the consolidation of database of data into a single database platform, we didn't really need those features. So it was refreshing when I finally understood that and started using Looker the way it was intended to be used. And we 
delivered projects way faster. We delivered uh, better projects. We weren't, uh, you know, dealing with plumbing uh, like we used to back in the day on-prem. And we were just able to do things with data. I mean, that's funny to say, but, you know, uh, I got into this uh, industry to, you know, do interesting things with data. But on-prem, I was installing and integrating and doing plumbing is the best uh, term I can use. So what I really learned as we did more and more projects with Looker is just how how it really covered 90% of what we needed. And all those features that I thought I wanted, uh, I didn't need, but still kept the one very important one, which was the semantic layer. And I still th- and I still believe in that semantic layer. That's one of the things that I brought from my, my legacy world that I didn't want to give up. And, you know, Looker really, really covered that well. Well, I mean, even today, it's just proven to be the number one thing you did not want to give up, right? And, and should not have ever been given up, for sure, right? Is, is that yeah. semantic layer. So what was it like in those early days of Looker? Um, you know, was, was the tool being built for, for uh, maybe an enterprise audience or was it being built for uh, a different type of audience maybe? Um, maybe one that was more, um, I suppose, tech technical or more kind of digital first and so on? Yeah, the initial first years were were really fun. You know, uh, Lloyd Tab, who founded Looker uh, and brought on Ben Porterfield, uh, who's the VP of engineering. You know, they're engineers, right? And uh, and so in 2012, you know, they built a tool for themselves to analyze data. Right? They didn't come from the data world, right? They built an engineering tool for engineers that needed to deal with data. Um, and I think that was, you know, just fortuitously like 2020 foresight that uh so many trends were going to kind of be really large secular trends around that core concept that i wouldn't say we invented by any means but i would say that we were very well positioned to do that right so for instance lloyd is not just a software engineer but also a languages engineer right and so he just built this tool to say hey i want to describe my data um and that that's living in a database and then i'll you know We'll build this modern app that Ben came in and, and helped develop to say, you know, we'll give you a web interface to basically, you know, ask and answer questions of your data in a way that you can describe, you know, more powerful or more complex concepts than exist in the physical schema. Um, and, you know, it was like, oh, you've built a BI tool with a semantic layer, but it wasn't how, you know, that's not how they started it. So it was really cool because a few things that come out of that is obviously we've just discussed the semantic layer in detail. Um, but the way that he approached it in an engineering language um, really became the right paradigm to analyze data that would then be stored in a completely different way that was not the way it was stored really kind of in 2012 when we started, right? But that consolidation, you know, kind of um, you know, original fidelity kind of data, very large wide tables is kind of, you know, kind of the consolidation of how people use cloud data warehouses today. Right, that paradigm of the semantic layer that Lloyd had written was perfect for that. Um, and then the second kind of architectural component of just analyzing the data in the database, we kind of reverse what was the way of thinking with Oracle BI, right? Of pulling it out, bringing it into cubes, right? And then analyzing those smaller sets of data really paralleled well with the fact that cloud data warehouses became the way to analyze data, right? Because it was faster, it was cheaper. Um, and then there became a whole ecosystem of tooling to put all the data inside of that, right? So when the technology met up with that paradigm uh, of the data model, uh, it really, yeah, was was you know kind of a 
a whole bunch of really great secular trends and great foresight on Lloyd and Ben's part to to match all those things together and and do as Stuart as you had mentioned do much more powerful projects uh, before and being the being the person who created the the go to market team at Looker it was the hardest thing in the world to just tell someone just trust me it's more it's better <laughs> like that's like the hardest thing to say yeah because <laughs> you know it's like I'm writing timing, wasn't it, Keenan? I mean, it was really perfect timing that, that when data were when the data when the cloud data warehouse caught up, right? Almost at the exact it right was, time. It was like literally perfect. So we built Looker around in the era of either a replica of RDS MySQL uh, or Green Plum Vertica and Park Cell, right? And so you know we're just scouring the Vertica uh, group. So like Call Mahoney and Chris Selland and stuff like that at every Vertica big data show, like. You know, just trying to get all these new customers. And we were introduced to Anurag Gupta in 2013. And he's like, I got something that you guys are going to really love. Um, and it was Redshift, right? And the, the second we just saw an MPP database in the cloud, self-managed, we we're like, oh, <laughs> I remember Lloyd just being like, this is game changer. Like, this is it. We're all in. And then when we met the Snowflake team, because we were both Redpoint Series A companies, um, we were like, oh, holy, holy shit. This is, <laughs> this is even better. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was, uh, that was all really cool for fortuitousness in like 2014. Now the mystery guest we're going to bring on, I'd just like to reassure you, isn't Thomas Curian. Um, but just to, <laughs> just to ask, um, how much of this success of Looker was down to look at the company and the culture of the company? Yeah. Uh, I think probably just as much as the amazingly large secular trends that we were able to ride. Um, the culture that was created, I think was bar none, you know, one of the coolest things I've seen and I've invested in well over a hundred companies. And I think some folks have been building amazing companies, uh, as well. And just being part of Looker for 10 years was, was very cool. So I think the culture internally, but also the culture we had with our customers. So Stuart, you were talking a lot about that early on with just making customers successful and, and being super happy about that. That was core. Right. It was very, very, very core. Everyone did anything and everything at Looker to make customers successful um, and stuff like that. And partners. And partners. Yeah, that's true. We had a very large <laughs> partner team as well. So we just wanted everyone to know that they could have a really, really, really great experience. And we knew we could control that. Uh, and so we invested a lot in there across the board. Moving on then to the next episode, we want to talk about the history of the modern data stack and drill to detail. It was actually... Uh, episode 33, which is building out analytics functions in startups with special guest Tristan Handy. So this was Tristan before um, DBT Labs, and it was actually Tristan Analytics. Um, we were talking about analytics maturity levels, but also talking about DBT. And so this is actually quite a good opportunity now to introduce our mystery guest, um, who isn't Tristan, but um, maybe let, I'll let you introduce yourself. Uh, yeah, many people think of me as a poor man's Tristan Handy. Uh, <laughs> Very, very proud of that. Uh, hey, this is know, uh, Jake Stein, formerly of, uh, yeah, Twitch <laughs> and RJ Metrics. Good to see y'all, or talk to y'all. Jake. Uh, I recognize that voice the second you introduced yourself, and it made me very Absolutely. happy. I, it, I, I was hoping you would. That, that joke was targeted at you. That's really just targeted at everybody. <laughs> and Stuart, you know Jake as well, don't you? Absolutely. Yes. I know Jake back from the Stitch days and also uh, we're both investors in Qualytics and yep. so spent some time there. And uh, yeah, it's really, that's why I knew his voice so well. 
So, Jake, great chef from the show. Um, and if anyone doesn't know you, maybe just tell the story of Stitch and uh, remind me again how how um, RJ Metrics led to all of these uh, led to all of these kind of companies. Uh, RJ Metrics sold to Magento, which then got acquired by Adobe, and Stitch sold to, to Talent. Yeah. So uh, at RJ Metrics, um, we had uh, the the challenge of competing against what Keenan was just describing, uh, which was uh, uh, you know challenging for sure. Uh, and, and I mean, we had tons of respect for for the Looker team in general, and, and they made some like really fantastic early bets, like he was saying. Like I, I remember, I looked at the um, the early deck that first round published, or maybe it was like an email of Lloyd originally pitching it. And one of the bullet points, and this was like I don't know, 2011, 2012. Like it was columnar databases are the shit, and the fact that that was like one of his headline things back then is just like an amazing amount of foresight, which, you know, candidly, I, I was nowhere near that early on. Um, so yeah, I, uh, RJ Metrics was a like integrated BI product, like really b- before the model of the modern data stack was created, we did data collection, data transformation. We managed a data warehouse for our customers uh, and we had our own proprietary viz layer uh, and it was focused primarily on e-commerce. And essentially what happened is we were, we were pretty early to the world of data, we, uh, at least for, for startups. We got started in 2008. Uh, and essentially what happened was we got a ton of initial traction. Uh, lots of people used it and loved it. And then over time, years later, we eventually started to see some of our smartest customers start to churn in a very particular way. And that was very interesting to us where they, would, uh, they were going to BI tools like Looker uh, and they would say to us, hey, we're, we're going to use them now, but any chance we could use that backend that you guys built? Uh, and I spent a lot of time trying to convince them that that was not what they wanted. Um, uh, and a lot of that was unsuccessful. And eventually we sort of took yes for an answer and thought, oh man, maybe this fact that we are collecting this data for them is something we should like have as a separate product or at least allow our customers to access. So we went through sort of an iterative process of first just like opening up access to our warehouse, which originally was on MySQL and eventually got migrated to Redshift. Um, and then, you know, sending data into our customers' data warehouse, but it was always sort of coupled to the BI product. And there was, there was a big tension in the business model, which was that like these two products represented very different philosophies on how analytics should be done, the to- closely t- coupled versus like totally separated. Uh, and around the same time, Magento, which was our biggest partner, that was like the most popular platform that our customers were using to power their e-commerce stores. They got serious about solving their analytics and reporting challenges like internally rather than through partnering. So they started a conversation with us around acquiring the company. And there was an obvious strategic fit with them with the original RJ Metrics product. Um, but this small second thing that was a separate product that was would eventually become Stitch that would help you get data into your data warehouse was like 1% of our revenue. And it was very clear that was not a strategic fit for them. They just didn't really care about it. Um, and so we, we were pretty sure it was going to die inside of Magento if it got acquired. So one of the things that we basically were able to do in that deal was to say, okay, the the original business with 99% of the revenue and you know 80% of the team you acquire that and then let us keep this um this other product and we spin it out into a separate separate business and that's ultimately what we did and that became stitch 
Uh, and then the the other thing that was sort of happening in parallel in the little skunk works uh, within the company was uh, Tristan and Drew and Connor uh, and also Chris Merrick, who is our CTO, who's now at, at Omni. Um, uh, they were all working on this different way of working with the data that this proto stitch product was provisioning um, around doing in database transformations. And I remember one time Tristan came to uh, into uh, a conversation with me and Bob. And Bob was my co-founder. He was the CEO of RJ Metrics, um, and basically said he was thinking about leaving and working on analytics and this DBT thing full time. Um, and we said that sounds pretty cool. Um, you know, like we were supportive. Uh, I had no idea it was going to become what it became, um, but it was all out of just like doing analytics on some internal projects and thinking about a better way to to solve the problem and really following that that sort of philosophy of, you know, analytics is a, a type of software engineering and ought to use similar tools and the open source model and, and things like that. I'll, I'll pause there. That was a lot. I, I, I want to just add in one thing real quick, Mark, is... Uh, Kudos to to Bob and Jake. I think it is a, it is is a, a beautiful case study on on corporate on leadership, really, right? And strategic thinking um, about what the entire story Jake just said when he when him and Bob reached out to us and told us about Stitch, right? It's like it was it was it was just incredible. Like you know, the really break all that stuff apart, be really authentic with who they are, what they built, and everything like that. So we had just had the utmost respect for for that decision. So you know, big big thumbs up, and I think it was obviously the right decision. So Keenan, how much was the success of DBT really down to the lack of incremental refresh for PGTs in Looker? <laughs> I think I still have nightmares about customers and partners like yourself requesting incremental PDTs and, and I'm just like stuck in this void of not being able to answer you. <laughs> uh yeah thanks for that uh no i don't think it's only successes <laughs> based on incremental pdts um but what it did show right is it did show that there was a really you know uh big opportunity to extend the modern semantic data modeling layer and extend meaning if you think about the spectrum of data transformation in the modern world you know not everything had to live logically right and I think DBT really challenged that in a really positive way for the entire industry, you know, where PDTs were basically doing that stuff. I mean, they were materializing it, right? Um, but you were doing it kind of like on on the other side of the BI tool or inside of the BI tool, not prior to the BI tool, right? And I think the the amazing thing and the amazing innovation that DBT brought was like, hey, there is a paradigm that you know, I do think Look, LookML um, definitely innovated and, and invented in that sense. Um, to pull this out and say, you can have a logical third-party extension here to really help you be more successful with data, especially large sets of untransformed data um, before they hit any tool. Um, and so I think the, the creation of DBT actually, in my eyes, strengthened a lot of the power of LookML because it did take those things out. You could prototype now you know, really interesting table level transformations and things like that with Looker. And you could use PDTs for smaller things, but you, when you really wanted to productionize it and scale it and things like that, DBT became a really natural extension uh, to the ecosystem, right? And so that's why we were always really, really behind DBT and what, what Tristan was doing, even at Fishtown with his consulting. So, so I'll let Stuart speak now. Um, Stuart, when, um, when DBT was around, I suppose the other part to all of this was, was the move towards what's called analytics engineering. Okay. So 
maybe just tell us a bit about what that is and uh, and what your thoughts were on that when it when it came uh, came into sort of like vogue. The first thing I want to say is that I'm shocked that uh, Jake <laughs> accidentally created the connector market. Um, I mean, <laughs> uh, to hear that you initially thought that it was a bad idea, and then you you know I'm not I'm not you helped I'll say create the connector market, which is just crazy because it's. It's one of the you know biggest markets right now, and, and it was it enabled all of this, right? I mean, everything downstream from it. It was hard because it was tough to get data into cloud data warehouses. So first, shout out Jake for you accidentally, um, uh, you, you know, stumbling upon uh, a huge market. <laughs> uh, but thank you, sir. Just imagine what I'm <laughs> missing right now. It's going to be so exciting. Yeah. Um, but secondly, yeah, I mean, when we saw DBT for the first time, it really clicked with me because I had been trying for years to, um, you know, implement, uh, software development principles in tools that simply didn't support it. And this is why I loved Looker and DBT. The first time I saw them was they both, you know, 100, maybe it's because they were built by engineers and not data people. I think there's give and take there, right? There's some things that seemed obvious to me that should have been there in both products. But um, at the end of the day, the, the you know, doubling down or double clicking on the software development experience is something that I've tried to do with legacy tools for years. So it really clicked with me. And I think the idea that uh, putting that sort of rigor, testing, uh, uh, Git integration, uh, CICD and, and data ops and all that, uh, that I had wanted in the Oracle world, um, and never had, uh, it was just, you know, fantastic. Now I had a whole team of people at, at Red Pill Analytics that were, were hired for on-prem work and now had to suddenly be converted to the modern data stack. That was a challenge, but it was a fun challenge trying to get, you know, a bunch of consultants that weren't used to these, uh, life cycles, we'll say software development life cycles, uh, in, instructed and, and implemented and how to do that. That was probably the thing I'm most proud of at that organization is being able to not only take consultants and employees, but also customers uh, into that journey and understand the value there. So if there's one thing the modern data stack does that the legacy data stacks didn't do is that whole software development lifecycle, something that I've been pushing for for years. So that's the, the first thing I noticed about DBT and Looker uh, that immediately had me hooked was that. Yeah, and I'm going to jump on that too a little bit too. I, I know we've, we've, we talk a lot about BI too and like modern BI and how this, you know, this kind of opened that up, but you know, the big thing too, and this is why we also love DBT and just love the whole ecosystem growing is we didn't, we weren't just protective of Looker as the BI tool, right? A big part of, of our whole thing as well as the data experience is going to live outside of the BI tool a lot of times too. And it's also why the consulting ecosystem was so important for us is help, you know, modern data teams figure out how they really need to use data within the organization, not just in the constraints of a BI tool UI, Right. So when you get this software development, this modern software development approach into all the tools in the ecosystem, then these teams, these data teams can start thinking like software engineers and like product managers 
and they can start thinking about all the different things. Is there workflows that they can build in near real time of data going from you know from from the the stitch kind of connector world in through DBT in through LookML and being you know piped out via an API and doing some sort of recursive pro, you know process or something or is there some application that we could develop that's going to help internal like teams work with suppliers or you know provide data to customers or something in a much more effective and and lower latent and more interactive way right so all of these outputs came on the backside of that as well which i think to me probably really solidifies the value of the modern data stack because if it was just a better bi tool it's you know it's cool it's great it just feels incremental to me but the real value i've seen in a lot of these large customers is really making data more effective uh, with these modern tools in this modern paradigm going on now then to um the third episode we're going to talk about uh, in the history here is um it's going to be uh, episode 71 the rise of snowflake data warehouse with special guest ken graziano i think this is actually probably the most popular episode we ever had um so Stuart you've you've had a lot to do with Snowflake over the years it's had quite a big impact on on your business and your career just tell us a bit about um what you think about Snowflake and and why it was such a success in the market really Absolutely I can tell you that Kent was trying to decide between joining Red Pill Analytics and this scrappy little startup called Snowflake at the time and uh he chose wisely let's be honest uh, big win <laughs> uh, huge win uh you know if i had conv- i was think i was close to convincing him but uh at the end of the day i actually said he should go to snowflake because um even then uh i i knew it was you know if the promise was fulfilled it would be game changing and i remember you know uh, kent is the reason that uh, red pill got uh, co- converted basically from an on-prem to a cloud consultancy was you know, he enabled me to, to, to connect with a lot of the people at Snowflake. I remember giving a presentation to the entire company about integrating with Oracle tools and, and doing Oracle takeouts uh, to some degree. And I don't know, it was 50 people, 60 people. I can't remember. And my math may be way off there. So once we did a project, we did our first project on Snowflake, it was amazing how quickly we we turned things around. It was just, you know, we spent so much time on-prem installing and, and configuring and integrating and all of that went away. And, you know, it drastically changed the experience our customers had. And I got on a soapbox after that project. And even customers who didn't want to hear about it uh, heard about it because I wanted to tell them about the successes we had. And we were actually doing things with data. We weren't (laughs) installing platforms that could maybe eventually do things with data. We were doing things with data. And so, yeah, it it made me, you know, honestly turn my back on the the Oracle world. (laughs) I'm still in their highest tier of advocacy. I think that probably ends today. But uh, I uh, (laughs) completely turned my back on on on-prem. So I can't believe that you're still an Oracle I director. I had to give mine up years ago, but you've still you're still one even today. I we knew he was going to make someone mad this episode. Here he goes. <laughs> yeah, here I go. It's the entire I, organization I, now. I honestly have no idea why I'm still in there, and I, I'm sure I'm not going to be tomorrow. But um, yeah, so that it dr- drastically changed, uh, and you know the whole world's caught up. It's 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 not like uh, you know this is I unlock some mystery. Um, but you know, shout out to Kent for 
going to Snowflake instead of Red Pill. And then, you know, being a really good friend and immediately introducing us and, and getting us to drink the Kool-Aid because we absolutely did. It was the right thing to do. And Looker came maybe a year later and we totally drank that Kool-Aid uh, and, you know, DBT uh, maybe a year later or two years later. And we drank that Kool-Aid and, and it worked out for our customers. Jake, how much did um, how much did the success of Snowflake's IPO and the and the fantastic valuation that um, that uh, that Snowflake got really the market? How much did that influence your decision to sell Stitch to um, Talent? Sure, yeah. And, and so, uh, just going back to uh, Stuart's comment on stuff that I've done by accident, one of the things which I also like just did not appreciate at the time was like what what Snowflake would become or that the level like how much better it was than the other options that were out there at the time. Cause I, I remember talking to Walter Aldana in, in the very early days of Snowflake and you know, they had uh, you know, they had a real challenge around getting data in to Snowflake. And, and this is something like speaking of people who've like helped, you know, create the, the connector market, obviously like Taylor and George at, at five Tran uh, deserve a ton of credit uh, for creating that category uh, as well. Um, and, and one of the things they got right before we did, was that they saw the potential of Snowflake and became an early partner there. And that, you know, I have a lot of respect for, for getting that call right early. Um, but it became obvious pretty soon that this was like a, a big force that was growing really quickly. And like, again, like following what a lot of our smartest customers were doing when they were, you know, let's say hitting the limits of Redshift or just, you know, trying to scale up in general. Um, and then, yeah, even more so with Snowflake's um, IPO and subsequent valuation. But like, we had inklings that you know of the scale before that, just through being a partner and knowing some of the folks there. Um, and, and like, in some ways, Snowflake really drove was at least the catalyst for um, you know like the Stitch acquisition. I think it was like Talon's efforts to partner with Snowflake. Um, and some of the challenges they had there just because they were built for a very different model. I think when Talon did reach out to us, that was at least partially inspired by the fact that they saw that that was going to be a really critical partner to have and that they could not, you know, get all the way there without, without someone like us. So, uh, yeah, very, uh, very impactful for, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Well, I mean, just extending on that, uh, let talk, talk about impactful. I mean, looker. Looker wouldn't even work if we didn't have the connector ecosystem, right? Because that was the big bet that we took architecturally. Is we weren't mm-hmm. going to get around that and build our own connectors. Uh, and I talked with Lloyd and Ben massively early on, like, come on, why don't we have a Salesforce connector? Why don't we have a sales? Like, just give me something to sell against RJ Metrics. <laughs> this is Don dying out here. <laughs> that was a good one. That, we were hitting yeah, you with that. Um, um, yeah, thankfully, uh, Taylor yeah. and George came around. And I think, unfortunately, you know, that for for the early RJ, that was probably the biggest thing that unlocked the value of Looker, right? And then when when Stitch also came out, then it kind of really solidified the fact that, you know, mm-hmm. we can have this best of breed tooling across the data stack, right? And, and allow people to have choice um, and allow them to, to start piecing together stuff because we did, right? We just talked about the analytics engineer and this was the the, the big secular trend there was modern data people wanted to be more like engineers than they did like spreadsheet people, right? And so they really wanted to do code and all of that. And so they want to go pick their tooling uh, and go build their stack together, right? And I think Stuart, that's why you and even Mark too, with your consultancy, all did amazing jobs 
because you you were there along the way to help them start piecing this thing together and they had so much choice. Um, so I think it was the ecosystem that made everything really successful here. Um, and, you know, so like, you know, massively benefited from it, which is amazing. Back to Stuart again. Um, Stuart, why do you think Snowflake was was actually so successful? I mean, there's been database, there's been database startups before Snowflake. There's been since Snowflake. Um, and in some respects, Snowflake was was actually kind of one of the least ambitious, um, I suppose, new databases out there in that it was very similar in the way it worked to old-style databases like Oracle, um, quite different to, say, sort of BigQuery, which had quite a different sort of model, really, for, for the way it worked and the way you administered it. Um, so why did Snowflake do so well, do you think? So a couple of things. One is one is business organization and the other is technology. So I'll, I'll start with technology. Number one, it really is load your data and query. I mean, there's, there's you know, zero to Snowflake is... Uh, uh, a thing at almost every consultancy, right? There is still some some foundation delay, usually around security. But at the end of the day, you didn't have to worry about um, most things. And BigQuery just wasn't that way. Uh, you had to design tables in BigQuery. Also, I remember, you know, here's here's some another shot across the bow, I guess. I remember meeting with the uh, office of the CTO at Google um, early on. And it was a guy from, I can't remember his name. It was a guy that had come from Spotify, I believe. But when you went into uh, those sorts of roles at Snowflake, it was people from the enterprise, right? Yes, they had uh, really great uh, non-data uh, background engineers building product, but they also layered in a lot of a lot of expertise from the data world. And I think that that Google, you know, does things the Google way and BigQuery uh, shows that. And I think Snowflake said, hey, there's a basic engine swap that we need to do here. And it's separation of compute and storage. But a lot of what data teams expect, especially those coming from on-prem and, and enterprises, expect a lot of the stuff that you see in Snowflake. And it's stuff that looks a lot like Oracle and Teradata. Uh, whether you know you could migrate if you didn't have to worry about migrating the enterprise, yeah, sure. Maybe those features don't make a lot of sense. But if you want to migrate the enterprise, it's got to look and feel like something they, they expect. And at that time, BigQuery simply didn't. You, at that time, you couldn't even do DDL in BigQuery, right? It was an API call. So now, obviously, BigQuery's caught up. Uh, their roadmap looks a lot like Snowflake's roadmap. Uh, they're just six months behind or a year behind. But um, I, I don't necessarily think that's true now. But Snowflake knew exactly what it would take to get the enterprise to migrate. And let's face it, at the end of the day, that's where the dollars are spent. Okay, so moving on to the next episode we can talk about, which was around the same sort of time, actually. And it was uh, episode 69, Look at Tableau and Consolidation in the BI Industry. And that had Stuart on there, and it also had Tristan on there as well, and obviously myself. Um, and it was around that time when... Um, well, that kind of wave of acquisitions was happening really within the industry where we had uh, Tableau being bought by um, by Salesforce and, of course, more famously, uh, Looker by Google Cloud Platform that had been announced at that time. So, Keenan, you'd have been obviously been pretty central to a lot of what was going on um, when the acquisition happened. Um, uh, so what was it like really being at the, the eye of the storm really when that all was um, happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely was part of the creator of the eye of the storm there. Um, <laughs> so... 
Yeah, look, like, I mean, like, it was a really interesting time. Obviously, uh, you know, Snowflake was thinking about their IPO. We were actually getting ready for ours. Um, so we were all definitely at scale, pretty large sized. Um, and, you know, we weren't looking to sell the company or anything, but, uh, but it was very clear. So Google approached us and, and, and when we started talking and discussing internally and externally, like, you know, it, it was very clear that like there, there could be some really amazing synergies <clears throat> with a BI tool being part of a cloud, you know, for you know, all that massive distribution and hyper distribution scale. Um, and also like a lot of stuff that we really wanted to do with Looker and keep expanding on Looker. So, you know, when we did the acquisition, the core strategy was, you know, hundred percent stay open, stay across multi-cloud, um, be the thing that, that, you know, is still Looker, um, but grows with the distribution. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a super exciting time for sure, because, you know, we wanted to get Looker, you know, in the hands of a lot more people, um, and doing so under Google was, was ultimately that decision for sure. Back over to Jake then. Jake, what was your what was your reaction at the time to the announcement that Looker was being um, acquired by Google Cloud, Cloud Platform? And again, yeah, how much did that can you know push you towards thinking about selling Stitch to Talend or, or just generally sort of like um, how the market was consolidating? So to, to answer the last bit first, it it really didn't impact our thoughts about getting acquired or staying independent. Like it was. Uh, I thought it was obviously extremely interesting, and I was jazzed for all the people uh, at Looker since it was such a great outcome. Um, but from our perspective, it didn't it didn't change like our competitive dynamic per se or our view of the market. I think it was like it always it always made a lot of sense to me. And this is like one of the one of the great things about like the Looker. Google or Looker Snowflake partnership, um, and this is definitely a credit to, to, to Keenan and Norris and folks like that uh, who worked on that team, was just that like they drove a ton of revenue for the partner because they were selling you know compute and they drove a lot of compute. And that's also, I think, to a d- degree why DBT, um, in addition to just their wide adoption, uh, is such a valued partner by data warehouses today because they drive a bunch of compute. Um, so it was like, it may it was uh like shocking but unsurprising if that makes sense like i i didn't see it coming but it was like it like instantly like oh yeah obviously great that that totally makes sense um and then i think the thing that was always in the back of our mind though with with people like google and candidly all the public clouds was like these are very large companies they have very wide product portfolios uh and these data warehouses are really strategically important products to them uh, and so what are they willing to do in order to drive more success of those data warehouses? Uh, and, you know, one of the things is obviously like tightly integrate with a BI tool, but we always had in the back of our mind, like, are they going to try to build out their own connectors or directly compete with us? And, you know, there's, there's been bits and pieces of that uh, over, over time and they've built out more, but that was definitely one of the things that I guess maybe slightly going against how I started this answer. Like that was always in the back of our head, just what... Uh, where are they going and what do we do if we're going head to head for them rather than, you know, just a pure partnership and complementary play. So that definitely influenced our, our thoughts about uh, the, the total long-term opportunity for, for us and, and our defensibility and stuff like that. So Stuart, um, so you and I were really interested in this, in this at the time. Um, so we'd seen a similar thing happen back in the past in the Oracle world with uh, Thomas Curian uh, leading things where the, the suite of Oracle BI products have been built out and uh, 
and yeah, extended into things like um, applications and, and vertical apps and, and so on. Um, um, but but Looker was Looker was an interesting choice as well because it's it's quirky. Um, it's, it's some of some of the features about it are, are different. But you know, we we definitely we definitely saw it as being interesting. What was your thoughts at the time? Yeah, I remember the announcement happened. We were exhibiting at Snowflake Summit. Uh, I think it was the last day of Snowflake Summit when that. Yeah, wasn't <laughs> wasn't that a really nice time announcement exactly. for us too? I went. I went to lunch with uh, with Nick and Mable when uh, when that happened. I was like, I don't want to yeah, go back. I'm sure. <laughs> and it's funny we had had the partner, uh, I guess, event uh, which which ran prior to Summit itself, um, and there were so many shout outs back and forth between Looker and Snowflake at that partner summit. Uh, and then you know, fast forward two days, and Looker's a part of Google. Um, and then you look at episode 69 specifically, um, great episode, I thought, between uh, you, myself, and Tristan. Unbelievable guest. Oh, thank you. Just, and, you guys are amazing. Um, <laughs> I think it's funny. I may be wrong about this because I haven't listened to it in a few years, but that's back when they were still Fishtown, and he described Fish Fishtown as being a, a smaller version of Red Pill Analytics. So uh, I just think that's so funny to think about today, right? Um but, you know, I think that it made a lot of sense, um, you know, because, you know, I love Snowflake. But if you looked at the overall cloud platforms, Google was my my preferred cloud platform. And anything that we built at Red Pill Analytics, we built in Google. We didn't necessarily go to AWS that as much as, as others. So, it you know, it made a lot of sense now. It, you know, uh, here's the uh, naysayer coming out, right? Um, it's still, uh, I believe, not really integrated um, in GCP. It might be. I haven't looked in a while. Uh, so forgive me, Keenan, if, if that's not the case. But I haven't been there in yeah. a year and a half. So, uh, and that, what I talked about okay. on episode 69, which kind of floored Tr- Tristan a little bit, if I remember correctly, is thinking about getting Looker um, uh, priced on utilization. That was the dream, right? Was that no license... Um, uh, you know, procurement or anything, just spin it up and use it. And that was the thing that was, you know, and I said in that episode, that's, that's the thing that's going to change everything. And I don't think we're there yet. So we might be, but I don't think we're there yet. So no, not, not on that front. Um, but, uh, you know, you know, Honor Gupta actually from AWS uh, asked us that almost every single time we met him. Can you start charging on a consumption basis? We thought very long and hard about that. As an independent company, I think it would have been the death knell for us. It would have been very hard. That would have been a, a big bet the company move yeah. on, on a company that was already working. Um, so we never did that. But yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Stuart. I mean, I think I think it's a big opportunity, whether Looker takes advantage of it under, uh, under Google or, or someone does, right? But the consumption on that would be really interesting. So actually, you know, working with and uh, and trying to recommend Looker in for a project now is quite tricky. You know, we um, they won't pick the phone up to us now with opportunities um, because, um, you know, unless you're a, uh, a GCP partner that can sort of sell all the rest of their stack, um, you know, you, you don't qualify as being a full Looker partner. Um, and things like customer support yeah. is different now. It's all offshored now. It's not the, the same kind of department of customer love. Um, and obviously, Looker is doing well as a product yeah. and the distribution is great. Um but it's a different sort of environment, a different kind of partner environment that it used to be, unfortunately. No, I mean, just to be honest, I think the one big thing that I, I'm that I, I'm kind of bummed about or unexcited about is exactly what you just mentioned, Mark. Um, Looker, we talked about this earlier. You know, I do think fundamentally Looker's culture 
uh, was a big aspect of our success, not just internal employee culture, but our culture that we had around our customers. And our customers really felt that change massively, right? I mean, you can't just get on to chat and talk to some really smart analytics engineer now and, and debug your problems in a second, you know, in the middle of the night or something like that, right? Um, you don't have that same hands-on level, not just in terms of just like customer support or customer success, but like the events that we would do, the community that we developed, you know, and I think DBT has done a great job of being the steward of a community for sure around a lot of this stuff and giving folks a, a really awesome home. And, you know, that's the big thing I'm bummed that didn't continue. Um, cause I think it could have had a really good opportunity. So yeah, the interaction with Looker as a company is gone. Right. And so now it's really the interaction of, of Looker as a product. And so I think you'll see a lot more of, of that product strategy come true as how is it, does it exist in a suite of 110 products versus being its own, you know, its own company standalone with, it, with its own customer operation. The other big bit of news that we didn't mention on that, on that, on that particular episode, cause it hadn't actually happened yet at that point. Um, but it was, um, was the fundraising that Deep or Fishtown Analytics did initially, and then it obviously the company then turned into DBT Labs, and now it's t- now obviously DBT Labs has become the the big the big player really in 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 the modern data stack market. So, so um, Jake, how does it feel to be a relative failure uh, compared to uh, compared to Tristan and uh, DBT Labs? They've done really well. <laughs> yeah, they? Why you? coming in hot. I was like, wait a second, did my dad join this call? What's going on here? <laughs> oh no, I mean it's been amazing and, and I'm super pissed off about it. And like ironically, totally random. I, I had uh, dinner with Tristan last night, so you could tell on what bad terms we're on. Uh and he was hacking out of my house afterwards. So but you know, it was it, I was unhappy about it. Did you did you poison him at dinner? Well oh yeah, I I I made him pay, is is uh, I wish I had. Um the, no it's um it's really interesting just because like the, the original, original origins of this was like, we did, did these benchmark reports at RJ Metrics and it was like, okay, we've got hundreds of e-commerce companies on our platform. Why don't we collect all their data together and then show some stuff about like e-commerce and aggregate. And, you know, it was a set of tools that was like built internally, primarily by our marketing team. And Tristan was our VP of marketing um, to, you know, do that stuff better. And like I mentioned before, when when you know first Tristan and then you know Drew and and Connor uh, told us they were they were going to do this, we were thought, oh, you know, like that's cool, but obviously, like ha- had no idea how how big it would become. And I, you know, from my perspective, I think that's it's like all upside for for us. It's kind of like when like the college I go to moves up in the rankings. It's like, wow, I didn't do anything for that, but I sort of seem cooler by association. So I'm I'm happy about it. Um, the, uh, and, and I think, you know, one of like my just big takeaways of, you know, I spent probably like, it's a little over a decade, maybe 12 years working on two data startups. Uh, and now I'm in like a, re- a fairly different space in like, you know, uh, contracts and legal stuff. Um, and the, I think just the markets are just much bigger than I expected, which is great, which just means like the companies have like more runway to grow and like things that I thought were relatively narrow. turns out there's just a ton, a ton of people who need it. And like when Fishtown was just this consultancy, um, again, that, that made total sense to me because we were talking to people at Stitch and RJ who had these specific problems. Uh, and then it's really credit to the, what was then Fishtown and then DBT team that they had the vision of saying, okay, there is 
this product here that that is that is a bigger opportunity um because that's not an easy transition to make and i'd be interested to know Stuart, if you ever thought about doing this with your with your firm like to to make that jump from a consulting to a product company is like a tightrope walk and obviously they've done it well so i think they deserve like you know outside of just having a good idea it's it's a lot of like really really smart execution yeah, I mean, we tried several times uh, and it nothing we built mm. really took off. So, you know, shout out to to Fishtown now DBT Labs for executing on that. And I remember when they first started going in that direction and and sending a lot of their consulting requests to us, which was you know, mm. obviously great for us at the time. Um, this is the hardest part of the market. It's why I'm mm-hmm. now at a DBT competitor. Um, and that is because this is where the rubber hits the road. It's the hardest part of the market. I, I, it's the hardest part still. Like data ingestion, the problem that Stitch and Fivetran solved was the hardest problem. They made it, you know, basically, you know, uh, click and enable. That was huge. I can't tell you on-prem how... How, how much of a problem that was. Um, and so, but once that was solved, this is now the biggest problem. And I, or not the problem, but the, the biggest part of either a migration or a new implementation. So, you know, understanding that at the time they did, uh, you know, obviously a lot of foresight there um, and some smart guys figured that out. And the reason I'm in the market and the reason I'm at Coalesce now is I still think this is a you know the biggest part of the data landscape. The you know ninety percent of an analytics project. You know rough math there, but uh, stay with me. You know ninety percent of the work is in that layer. Uh, now something like LookML takes a little bit of the you know hardness away, but at the same time, this is still where the meat of the project is, and this is the part of the space that's probably going to evolve more. Uh, in the future. And I think looking at interesting ways to solve this problem, I think there's going to be a lot of AI and ML uh, approaches in the future. There's so much that a machine can figure out about your data that maybe you don't understand right away. I think we're going to, this is where the market, this is where the future of the market's real. And frankly, that's why I'm at Coalesce. Stuart, it's probably a good opportunity now to um, talk about what you're doing now at um at coalesce um so just maybe tell us about what the product is that you're working with and working on sorry um and how it kind of i suppose takes some of the ideas that we've been talking about and and extends them a bit further really yeah coalesce is you know we've spent a lot of time talking about dbt and i've gritted my teeth now uh you know i, I was a believer in their product and and love how they shape the market and now we we just simply want to you know take them on and see if, see if we can do it better. But Coalesce is a, you know, data transformation tool. We solve that column in the modern data stack. We do it a little bit different. We, we try to meet enterprises where they are. So we have a graphical user interface. We have built-in column lineage. And underneath the covers, it's, you know, a lot of YAML and a lot of Jinja. But at the end of the day, we, we can abstract that away from those developers that aren't interested in that. And we can you know, surface it for those developers that are. Um, and, you know, I think the fact that, you, you know, graphical user interfaces get a get a bad rap because of how poorly they were implemented on-prem, but they're not the reason why you can't be flexible. Um, so, 
you know, that's what, that's what Coalesce does. And, and, uh, we're growing at a, at a good rate and, uh, really excited to be back. And, and this is where my heart has always been. It's, uh, I'm a data engineer at heart. Um, I've done a lot of analytics in Looker. I've done a lot of database design, uh, in Oracle and Snowflake, but at the end of the day, this is the part of the modern data stack that interests me the most and really excited to be, uh, running all of, you know, customer success and customer experience for Coalesce. Let's move on now to um, the fifth episode of the uh, podcast I want to talk about, um, which was uh, episode number 89, Firebolt and the History of Cloud Data Warehousing with special guest Eldad Farkash. So, Keenan, you obviously you're involved with, uh, with, with Firebolt. You're one of the uh, founding team there, or certainly one of the team in this US. Um, tell us a bit about what Firebolt is and how you got involved with, with that. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say, I know maybe I'll, I'll take a different paradigm on the what I think is the hardest and most complex part of the data ecosystem. But I, uh, you know, after being at Looker for eight nine years and, and spending about a year helping the Firebolt founders uh, continue to expand and grow their company, databases are the hardest thing I've ever seen in the effing world. <laughs> like at a cloud database, building a cloud database is. It got to be one of the most insane engineering challenges that you can do in terms of what you have to think about in terms of the the almost infinite permutations of how someone wants to use a cloud data warehouse these days, right? So for Firebolt, you know, I think they're they're massively fortunate to kind of have just be the second generation, right, of a cloud data warehouse and look at all the different new technologies that have come about about building distributed systems in the cloud um, and being able to make you know design choices that you know. Might you know will definitely help them on the bigger scale and lower latency side of things, um, but the myriad of use cases and, and permutations of, of stuff people want to do with a cloud data warehouse now is insane, right? And to catch all of those and to build a system to 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 support all of that with your same value proposition is is an insanely uh, challenging and really cool engineering challenge as well. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I went and helped them as one of the first investors in Firebolt, along with a lot of, uh, modern data stack companies that I'm excited to talk about towards the end here. Um, but, uh, yeah, just wanted to, you know, help them, help them build and grow and saw a lot of, you know, the internals of, of how to build this stuff. And so we had a, had a fun, you know, year and a half with those guys and, and still continue to help them grow. So. So back over to Stuart, um, one of the things, another kind of trend that's been happening within the industry, a big sort of um, area of interest has been metrics layers and semantic models. Um, really the central role they've been playing in the ecosystem, and I suppose the balkanization of the industry a little bit around certain, around say with DBT Labs and around say Google Cloud with Looker. Um, yeah, what's your thoughts on semantic layer and metrics layers and so on at the moment? Yeah, it's... Uh, you know, customers are going to have to choose whether they think this should be part of their, you know, data transformation or data engineering solution, or whether it should be part of their analytics solution, right? Uh, for me, it's always made sense as part of the analytics product. Uh, and that some of that comes from my background with Oracle Analytics, which, you know, had one of the most sophisticated at the time semantic layers there was. It made a lot of sense to me to put that in the hands of the people that were going to consume it. Not necessarily, you know, that's not always the case, right? Uh, there's a good portion of, of Looker stuff that was built by, we'll say, practitioners and not users. But um, we saw lots and lots of Looker implementations that where the users were doing a lot of that. So it always, it, it's a difficult handoff. 
Uh, it's a difficult handoff between the physical structure and the eventual consumption of that physical structure. I think this needs to be uh, solved. Uh, there's various ways to solve it, but it certainly is something that brings a lot of value to the end user. I think data catalogs play a huge part in this also, because if what you're looking for is to understand your data, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be billed. It can be inferred. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see you know, where data engineering, analytics, and data catalogs all sort of butt up against each other. Who comes out in the end owning the semantic layer? What I expect to happen is just like all of these tools, you'll have a choice. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a clear winner and where it should be. I think that each organization is going to have to make a choice uh, about which part of the stack they want to own semantics. And I don't think there's necessarily a terrible choice there. Uh, and it's probably a one size does not fit all type of scenario. So another interesting trend and an interesting product in the market um, that's come along recently is Omni, of course. Um, so we had Colin Zima uh, come on to the uh, show a few episodes ago. Uh, Colin was obviously at Looker before um, and was uh, talking about how Omni's approach to analytics is actually almost the opposite of what we've been doing with with kind of planned governed semantic models, where the, the, the semantic model actually kind of, you know, I suppose it might emerges as you start to do reporting. It's not a mandatory part of what things are, how you do things. And it's almost going back to actually to the approach that uh, Gartner are talking about, where the data model and the semantic model are actually optional and um, really emerge out of the um, the reports that you're building. So, you know, what do you think about that? I mean, to Keenan, maybe, first of all. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously, you know, Colin and Jamie were at Looker for a very long period of time, including being some of our very first customers. Um, so they have. Do you feel betrayed by that? <laughs> no, I feel like if you're betrayed by evolution, then you know you probably didn't evolve yourself. Uh, no, I mean, I think it's a really interesting idea, right? I mean, they're still they're you know they're they're going to be massive um, you know contributors to you know, how DBT and Coalesce and the, and the third-party semantic ecosystem grows, uh, as well as building their own inside of the analytics tool. And I completely agree with Stuart. This is an extension of what we philosophically believed at Looker is there should be choice, right? And being the best of breed things, you know, other things are going to come out of that. So the modern, you know, fast forward three years, right? Like the amount of products in the modern data stack have just really, I, I'm excited because it's it's just expand, ex, whatever happens. <laughs> massively grown right and, it, and and it's kind of fragmented and some things won't exist but people have really tried to innovate on having best of breed things for all these new workflows right so going back to omni like i think it's a cool new approach right it helps data teams get going quickly that was a big problem with looker right um but also looker's power in, in semantic data modeling they still are doing that right and so whether you know, it's inside of their tool, whether it's DBT coalesce or, you know, maybe, you know, Malloy starts getting traction and maybe others started using Malloy, whatever. I think that's a really nice approach to be doing this, uh, where the data teams can do it, get a lot more value out of the data a lot quicker. So I think there's a lot of things that they're doing at Omni to, to speed that up where we were a little bit front, front loaded at Looker. And I think, uh, that's, that's definitely not a secret. <laughs> Jake, um, in some respects, you know, you voted with your feet when you you, you founded um, Common Paper and that you moved out of the analytics industry and um, into something a new area. 
So what was your what's your what's your take on where the industry is going and um and trends and so on? Yeah, sure. And I, I think it's in a lot of ways, you know, maybe you should uh weight my opinions on this significantly lower than uh than Keenan or Stuart, just because I'm uh uh, in addition, whatever uh, faults I normally have, I'm like a couple of years out of date now. Um, but but I would say that like like I said before, like it turns out these markets are at least much you know just much bigger than than I think we realized. And that that point on best of breed, like this is this was why the evolution from RJ metrics to Stitch made sense from like the the old tightly coupled stack into the the composable things is because you know as a company grows. Some people need BI dashboards. Some people need a Python notebook. Some people need something totally different. They need Excel. And it's better to, to have the right tool for the job as long as there are you know, good, consistent interfaces that all those tools can plug into because the, the, the downside, the, the risk is, um, is around you know, if everybody has a different version of the truth, which is you know, what we're all trying to solve or what we're trying to solve with the, you know, the semantic layer and things like that. And... and the, the parallel, actually, with, with what I'm doing now is that I, in a lot of ways, the, the thing that got me more interested is, okay, these, these concepts around like structured data, the power of cloud data warehouses, the power of APIs, what can we do with this? The thing that always struck me is like, you know, at, at Stitch for our own use, we had this great data warehouse and we could get an answer to almost any question we wanted to to ask, you know, maybe in 30 seconds, maybe in 10 seconds. And, and then there was one part of our business that was like, oh man, we want to need a question about our contracts and that's going to take a week. And so like the, the first post on the the, our, the uh, common paper blog is that, you know, contracts should actually be more like APIs than Word docs. And, and a lot of that is based on the fact of just like, I saw how good this can all be if you have the right data model, the right interfaces, the right tools. And that's, so a, a lot of what I'm doing now is just trying to bring that sort of framework and uh, model just to uh, a different industry where I, I think it's, it's painfully needed. I'd like to finish off then with, with Stuart's views on the modern data stack and the ecosystem at the moment. Um, where do you think it's going really? And uh, will open source, for example, have a big part to play in, uh, in things going forward? Um. Yeah, open source definitely, you know, if you look at a lot of the technologies that we've described in this episode, they've had an open source aspect to them. Uh, both Stitch and DBT did. Um, and, and there's a lot of things in the space that, you know, there's the, you know, the jury's out on, on that model. Um, you know, at Coalesce, we don't, we don't have an open source aspect because uh, we're trying to sell a great product to uh, needy customers. Um, and so uh, not needy. <laughs> Not needy. Customers in need. Customers in need, we'll say. Um, I think, you know, every time I do a, com a podcast, I say this will finally be the year of data quality. Uh, and uh, I've been wrong so many times. Uh, that's why I, I <laughs> yeah, I helped uh, found a data, quali uh, data quality company because I believe that. And so one of the things is as we move more toward data products, we'll say, uh, whether you internally look at your data platform and what you're delivering as a product, I, I, I guarantee your customers, whether they're external or internal, do. Um, and as we look to build products and products either work or they don't. And I think data quality is an area that uh, we used to be able to ignore, but 
Um, a product either works or it doesn't. A, an ML model that predicts something uh, either predicts it or doesn't predict it. So I think finally data quality uh, is going to be a big part moving forward. And I think wrapped around that is governance. And I think semantic layer plays a part in that. I think data data catalogs play a part in that. So it's going to be very interesting. You know, we solve the really difficult stuff, uh, databases like Snowflake, BigQuery, and Firebolt. Uh, do so much heavy lifting for us that we used to have to do ourselves. So we've solved that. Now the data engineering side of it, you know, there's obviously going to be innovation there. And can we reduce the friction for developers in that space? And then also the, the front, the final consumers, which at the end of the day are the ones that drive all of this. And can we make their connection to data an easier one? Uh, You know, uh, something that they can just, you know, sorry for the analogy, but swipe right to get right. So, um, can they can they easily consume this and 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 not have the sort of scenario that um, Jake described, where oh suddenly I see I, it's going to be a week before I can get this answer. So, if I look at it sort of holistically, I think we have to continue to reduce the friction in these different layers, and uh, we've we've done it in certain ones, we've made progress in all of them, but at the end of the day, we need. We just need to, you know, our space needs to reduce friction on a daily basis. I think the swipe right to get would be the world's most disappointing <laughs> dating app. <laughs> unless you were pre-matched, unless you were pre-matched with the data you tool, then you're going to be happy. <laughs> so thanks to all our guests for coming on the show, um, uh, particularly Jake, uh, relatively short notice. So thank you there. Um, so how does anybody find out about your latest activities? Coalesce.io. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll provide you some stuff for the show notes, Mark. We've we recently on Partner Connect with Snowflake. So you can literally in a few clicks have Coalesce up and running. Give it a try. Let us know what you think. Uh, and uh, and that's it. That's how you get there. And Kaden, how do people hear about Firebolt? Uh, or even read about? Go to Firebolt's. Yeah, <laughs> there's plenty of stuff to read about. <laughs> Go for the search. Yeah, exactly. Lots of lots lots out there. And Jake, Common Paper. Uh, yeah, go to commonpaper.com. Follow me on uh, TikTok. You know, all the places. That last part was a joke, but um, yes, <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. All right, I do have two videos I posted. <laughs>